Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome along to the Wise Men Say podcast. We're going to give you a break from the World Cup now because uh, you may have forgotten that Sunderland have a game coming up. So let's switch our focus back to Sunderland. Um, forget about England just coasting along in the group stages, uh, he says, before they lose 4 0 to Wales and go out. Um, and uh, look at Sunderland season so far. We thought that's what we would do. Uh, obviously, the preview show. Uh, the lads will be back later in the week to look at the Millwall game on Saturday, but we're going to just take some reflection from the uh, from where Sunderland are and what they've done in the first half of the season. So we'll see how that goes, winging it to an extent. Although we've done a little bit of research, I do promise you. Uh, right, who have I got joining me uh, for that? I have Mickey Luff with me this evening. Good evening, Mick. All right, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, thanks. Are you into the World Cup? Are you not in the World Cup? Um, I'm kind of like a lot of people, I guess, like reluctantly into it. Um, I think the days, for example, has been an absolutely fantastic day of football with um, three all and three two. Um, yeah, yeah, you'll have to you'll have to elaborate now in case somebody listens to this in two years. They'll need a, they'll need an actual <laughs> timestamp now for that. No, so as, as we recorded the day on the. Um, the second Monday of the World Cup, the final kind of final one before the final group stage game, aren't we? We were kind of the the, the last groups to play in the second game, aren't they? So yeah. it's getting to the crunch time where teams aren't really able to play for draws and we're seeing a lot more attacking football and it's leading to some absolutely beautiful chaos. Mm-hmm. And we saw Cameroon draw 3-3 earlier, didn't we, with Serbia? Mm-hmm. And South Korea lost three to Regatta. There you go. Yeah. Pointless information for you. Right, OK. Uh, Johnny Lambert's joining us as well. Evening, Johnny. How are you doing, lads? You okay? Good, yes. And you joined us from a foreign land as well, which is the ultimate commitment to the podcast, I believe. Yeah, yeah. It's um, I'm in the sunny climes of uh, Tenerife, getting some winter sun. Um, and actually, it's been in terms of getting into the World Cup, it's actually been quite good. Because I always feel when you're abroad, you always feel there's slightly a little bit more patriotism. And um, where we are, it's it's it, the hotel rooms quite represented by pretty much every nation so when everyone clamors in the sports bar four times a day to watch the games it's actually pretty good it's all quite good friendly good friendly banter other than what was going on 10 minutes down the road the other day where England and Wales were smashing seven bells out of each other in downtown really. Tenerife <laughs> yeah oh yeah. No. Hasn't, I haven't come across that one that's oh it's proper of... yeah it's proper football factory rubbish really not football <laughs> fans really just people in England shirts and Wales shirts that's tough, but, but hey, that's what it is. Brits are broader. Yeah, everyone loves them, right? Okay, well, we've got uh, a lot to get through, so we'll um, dive straight into it. Um, starting with with Wembley, I guess, and the delight of Wembley and Sunderland. Finally, um, uh, got some joy at Wembley in terms of fans being there, at least because none of us were there for the checker trade. And let's be honest, this was a this was a big one. Finally, getting out of. Uh, League One, um, and on to the summer transfer business. Uh, initially, I'm not obviously because we did some closer to the deadline when the circumstances had, had um, changed, but really um, it was mainly the outgoings. So Will Grigg went, Jamajli, remember him? He went. Aidan McGinley finally left. Lee Burge went. Uh, Jordan Willis 
was released. Obviously, we've loaned a couple of players out as well in uh, Carl Winchester and Jack Diamond, who did actually start the season, but then, uh, as we all expected, um, went out. Alicia as well was one who, who, who come in early, was one who come in early, sorry. Jack Clark did a permanent thing for him, which was great. Um, and we had Daniel Ballard, hard to forget we signed him, but uh, an important centre-half who had experience in the championship and we signed him um, from Arsenal. So Alex Bass, again, was the was the other keeper who come in, who um, we haven't seen a lot of really, um, which is a good thing. So we'll get on to the other signing. Sorry, Ellis Sims. Did say, I did say with kind of researches, didn't I? I'm just looking at uh, the transfer market thing and they're all over the place. So I'm trying to put some order into it. Ellis Sims, of course, come in on loan from Everton as well. Missed anybody off the top of anybody's head before we get on to the ones that come, the younger lads who come a bit later on? Unless you clear good. Patrick Robinson's a signing because he was out of contract technically. There was a bit of when right. they signed within us. Sort of made that permanent as well. Right. Okay. Well, we stumbled across that in the end, didn't we? Um but a decent bit of business, really. I think Jack Clark was the was the one, wasn't it? Where he he he'd, um, him and Roberts had finished the season, the promotion season, strongly for Sunderland. So it was good that we got that bit of business done. And Ballard, would you say, was that at the time the standout piece of business for people? Yeah, I think Ballard. I was very excited about. Obviously, I'm not going to pretend that I've watched a lot of Millwall games, but it's just as you don't have to. Sometimes you just get a good feel about a signing. And I definitely had a good feel about Ballard. You looked, he was um, a good age. He was young, but he wasn't inexperienced. As you said, had that full season playing for Millwall, who were on the fringes of the playoffs for a lot of last season. And Millwall were interested in him again. So for me at the time, I remember thinking, like, this is a bit of a coup that we've got them. And when we signed Ballard, he actually alluded to the ambition at the club and where we wanted to go. So I remember at the time feeling that that was a a real statement of intent that reassured me a lot about the type of business we were going to be doing in the window going forward rather than repeating some of the mistakes we've made in the past. Yeah, and going straight into the first game of the season, John, uh, home to Coventry and and, and Ballard looked the part in that game, didn't he? He was the, the standout performer in terms of the new lads coming in. Well, we'd already seen some of the new lads, obviously, because they were just they were on loan with us last season anyway. Yeah, it was just nice to get some physicality and some height back in the team as well because we massively over-relied on the likes of Stuart defending at corners and things like that. And obviously with the uh, uh, the kind of climbing form and obviously proven pedigree of Danny Bart at the back, it just seemed like a perfect match them to. Uh, it's just a real shame that the injury, and it's not, a, it's not a muscle injury or anything, it was an injury for a foul, so we, we lie in hope that, yeah, Fitness-wise, he'll be good for us moving forward. But yeah, it was a real positive because that Coventry game, we spent a lot of the time without the ball. We 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 went out the blocks really fast, and we probably gassed after about half an hour. And we got a real lesson in how much it was a well a real sign in the championship of how much the ball remains in play compared to League One and all the obvious shithousery and gamesmanship that goes on in that division. So um, it was really good to have someone that all right, yeah, he's. They had a short period of experience in the championship, but he's, he's come through that Arsenal Academy and they generally bring decent players through. So that was a really encouraging sign. The fact that we were able to beat a few clubs to that name as well, much like we did with Ellis Sims, was I won't throw too much credit at the recruitment team. Um, but I think that was um that was pretty good business. Uh and I'm just hope that we get him back soon, really. What did we learn from that first year? What were we thinking at the time, Nick? I think my initial thought was Coventry one of the better sides in the championship I saw enough from one game to think we aren't going to be you know there's not going to be a repeat of 2017 here yeah 100% um, I think I came away from that game as you said there saving really really shivered because I was really worried going to that game thinking Lyndon Gooch in the championship is he going to be able to make the step up and then he does a really good run and ball into the box for Clark's goal. And I think that's been a theme throughout the season. I'm not going to leap ahead too far, but I think for me, there's a lot of players I had my doubts making the set from League One, Gooch and um, League One. I've probably been the two most extreme examples. I did worry about them up the division, but they've seen they've kind of made the set up seamlessly. And I think the Coventry game said a lot for that. Um, but just good performances all over the pitch. And Coventry, although they had a slow start the season and had a few games called off, have recently shown through the form that the 
but no mugs are a good side and they had to rely on an outstanding bit of quality to get a late equaliser against us on another day. I'm not saying we necessarily deserve to because I think the draw was fair, but on another day we could have come away with three points. So I remember coming away from that game feeling not delighted because obviously you always want to win at home, but kind of feeling very reassured that we were going to have a good, solid season. This kind of panned out that way. Mm. And following up that with a win at Bristol City, John, which was, again, nice just to see us get points on the board. We had been here before, though. I mentioned 2017. Let's not forget, um, we got we picked up four points quite early in that season because we, 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 we stuffed Norwich away from home. We drew a derby on the opening game of the season. But I think the Bristol City game, what that showed us was, this was the first time we'd saw Sims because he was he, not deemed fit enough for the country game. And Alex Nail had found a system to get two centre-forwards in and they both scored. Yeah, I mean, I was fortunate to be at that game. It's a cracking day as well. And um, what surprised me was um, the fact that he just out of the blue went with two strikers. But bear in mind, the weekend before, he wouldn't even, he, he wouldn't even use Sims um, off the bench to kind of defend from the front and alleviate the pressure a little bit as an outlet. So to bring him in, and then obviously, lo and behold, four minutes in, a layoff from Stewart and he, he has a, a pop shot and scores. Um, and then it was one of those games where um, I think Gooch was really guilty of standing off uh, Vyman and he equalised with all the time in the world. And then typical us, we, second half, barely sat down for the second half and we concede and you're thinking, here we go. And then um, again, um, Pritchard then just totally unlocks them. A great equaliser from Sims again. And then it was basically the Jack Clark show. He absolutely tore their, um, I don't know if it was their, their wing back or their um, right sided uh, centre half, but he just absolutely destroyed them. And it was just really encouraging that um, we were able to get ourselves back into the game. Uh, I don't think um, Bristol, uh, well, Bristol City are a good side. They they they've struggled recent in recent years because they haven't been able to hold down a manager and. A manager's probably not been able to have a team that they want, um, but I thought it was um, I thought it was a really, really in, uh, encouraging result. And then all of a sudden, you're talking four points from the first two games, and you're thinking this is all right, isn't it? This we're no we're we, we're competing in this division. Um, but it was a great win. It was great to see Ross Stewart get his um, first goal of the campaign because there's always going to be the question marks over whether he can cut it. Uh, that level and one goal doesn't do that but what it is is it's that monkey off his back straight away um, and it was a winning goal as well which made it all the more important and we're not we're not going to go game by game because we haven't got time to do that but these first few games we are because they're so distinctive and they, and, and they told us so many things individually so we're going to follow that up by the next home game and I'll just mention there Mick that Starting 2017, you know, drawing home derby, going away in Norwich and winning 4-1, everyone thinking, ah, you know, we'll return back to the Premier League or we'll be there or thereabouts before the wheels come off. It was important to follow that Bristol City uh, game up with a good performance. And at home at QPR, who again, it's materialised a pretty decent championship side. Sunderland are absolutely cruising. Stewart scores again, Sims scores again. You think, this is it. We found a combination. Two strikers, absolutely flying. Um, totally dominant. And then... We gas out, as we did against Coventry. Um, but that's not the main story, is it, of course, because QPR's keeper comes up for corner last minute and equalises. So that's a moment we'll always remember. Yeah, it was an absolute kind of just a freak result because, as you say, 99 times out of 100 win that game 2-0. But won the wrong side. And to be fair, I think that's set in motion a, a really frustrating trend of good home performances not backed up by the points return we deserve. So, um, again, like, I don't want to kind of get too far ahead of myself, but we had that QPR game where we threw the points away. We had Norwich where we played them off the park and just couldn't score and then ran out of gas after 65, 70 minutes. You know, we've had plenty of games at home where we've played well and you've come away thinking, how have we got nothing from that game? And as you pointed out on the pod you did previously after the Birmingham game, Stephen, I think that's maybe skewed some people's perception of the season because... When you go to the matches week after week and you maybe can't get to the away games, I know myself, like I've only been able to get to one away game this season. So when you're coming out of the stadium week after week feeling a bit demoralised, you can kind of skew your perspective a little bit when actually we've had a very good start of the season in a lot of ways. So just hopefully we can start to book that trend after the break because I think the QPR game set those wheels in motion for a little bit of kind of like tentative 
not kind of in terms of our style of play, but it's easy for fans to get nervous, isn't it, when you're throwing away points from winning positions and not getting the results that your performances really deserve? Yeah, absolutely. And um, the, the gassing out thing was the thing we were all talking about at that time. We lost away to Sheffield United, gave a good account for ourselves against a side who looked like they're possibly the, the best in the league. Then we go to Stoke and grind out a 1-0 win and things change. That's the first marker in the season then. Um, the side that we beat that weekend are then linked with our manager, Alex Nail. John, uh, what, what did you think at that time when those links were made? Because most people dismissed it and we all know what, what happened very, very quickly because Alex Nail was supposed to do a, a pre-match press conference. Yeah, I think I was one of them uh, during the morning that sort of dismissed it because I know uh, obviously in the Sunderland socials, it's always very knee-jerk and very sensationalised. Uh, and then we find out that it's, it's potentially true. Um, then uh, holier than thou, um, Speakman decides to come on before the game and try and give an explanation, which was a little bit, little bit embarrassing really because it was just the usual gibberish um and yeah it, it all of a sudden it, you go off the back of a really good away win a really steady start and all of a sudden it's oh it's this typical Sunderland again now there's this we're making the headlines for all the wrong reasons um obviously ourselves at Wiseman say know that not everything is as as black and white as it may appear and we've been very cynical um and challenging over what goes on behind the scenes at Sunderland and that particularly with multiple things in terms of contracts. Um, what, what didn't sit well with the timing wasn't great um, before a game, not that Alex Neil necessarily owes us anything. I mean, as a club, he wasn't, he wasn't offered any stability. Some say he wanted the rolling contracts and say that he was always looking for that next best offer. He had already kind of, been in bed with the Stoke owners, uh, so to speak. Um, and then ironically, we go and play against Norwich in front of the Sky cameras and pretty much play them off the park, but just couldn't get the ball in the back of the net and end up going down 1-0 in, in what was a really spirited performance. It was just a very, very bizarre 24 to 36 hours. And um, no one was really any clearer after that as to what had actually gone on we know you know Alex Neil spoken recently in in the media about actually not being backed and and different things but I think there's a few obvious logistical reasons why he has moved but yeah it's it's a shame because I'm I sit in the camp and I'm very grateful of what he did for us in that three and a half month period of time I don't think there's many managers that could have come in and dealt with what he had to deal with so for me uh, you know it wasn't ideal and and who knows if Mowbray will be the solution, but um, yeah, it's just a very bizarre, bizarre kind of end of a week, really. And what was it? Well, I still still blame the Full World 73 for showing up with their Netflix cameras, really, because whenever they do, all hell breaks loose. Really. How are you feeling at that time, Mickey? Because that's something we'll remember for years to come. The way that, like John said, just the speed of that, you know, he's, he's he was late for his press conference and then the room was picked up and then the next thing you knew, you knew the, the local journalist was saying, ah, actually, we think this is happening. Yeah, it, it all kind of went from the initial rumours, like you say, and you kind of think, oh, well, because I think sometimes we all have a bit of a tendency to all be to buy into this all like typical Sunderland sort of thing. So the minute he was two minutes late, I was seeing people saying, oh my God, he must be going to store. And I'm like, oh, well, he's given it a rest, man. I just can't even be bothered to entertain this. And then a few hours later, all of a sudden, he's actually in talks with Stoke and there's a club statement out to that effect saying that he's um, actually talking to them. So that was just such a bolt from the blue. And I just remember feeling absolutely deflated. I felt like I had the stuff knocked out of me because I just thought like, oh my God, like as a Sunderland fan, we just can't actually enjoy anything for even a medium period of time. Something always has to come along, whether it be a manager departure or like a bad run of form from nowhere. So for me, I started immediately panicking, thinking, oh, well, okay, if Neil does go, who are we going to get in? Who can provide the continuity and build on the foundations that we've got here? And again, it's so close to the end of the, the transfer window. And I just thought that things weren't looking good at all. Um, so I'm actually quite pleased with how we've responded quite efficiently. And 
fortunately so far, the effects of Neil Gorn haven't actually been felt anywhere near to the extent that I feared they were going to be. What was interesting was, um, so I, I mentioned the first wave of the the signings in the summer there, and it's all about the model, isn't it, as you've said, and and um, to the club's credit, this time, at least they identified somebody quickly because it was an absolute disaster or a fiasco after uh, Lee Johnson was sacked and for a club who have this aggressive model where all the cogs are supposed to just fit in their place. They almost lead you to believe, don't you, the manager's not really that important and the replacements lined up with the, the, the chase. You know, we, we don't need to go over it all, but the chase after Roy Keane for ages, it took ages to appoint Alex Nail. Um, we, 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 we lost um, valuable points in, in that time. So it happened quite quickly in that suddenly we knew the manager and then some sign-ins were announced and then we beat Rotherham. And that all happened quite quickly, didn't it? Which I, I feel like the club um, needed. The young players they announced, you know, um, we didn't know loads about, to be fair. So Bar has uh, come in from La Havre. Um, Diallo, people, you know, were aware of him. I'm at, uh, at Man U. I think a lot of people knew who he was. So that was an in, um, an interesting one. Um, Bennett come in from from Costa Rica, who, again, you know, only 18-year-old. There was a debate about whether he was going to be ready for the first team or whether he was going to just play with the under-21s for a while. But we paid a fee for him, and he's a Costa Rica international. He's, you know, he's, he's playing for them um, in the World Cup squad now. And then um, Mishu has come in on loan, who jury's still very much out on him, but, again, came with a big reputation. I feel like the club needed those things to happen quite quickly. Um, if ever a club has needed a win... That Rotherham performance and that Rotherham one was it, John, wasn't it? Yeah, and there were some great goals in that game as well. And it was good, it was good for um, Mowbray. To, Mowbray was in charge then, wasn't he? Or was he? A, it was his first. Game. It was well, it, it was, was his, his first, first game. game, but he, he um, you know, he he, he he kept it the same, didn't he? He said he didn't yeah, make any changes yeah. to the side, and he says so. What impact he had would have been minimal, but it was his officially his first game, yeah. Yeah, it, it had given some speech about the, under the fingernails and blue collar workers <laughs> yeah. and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, no, it, it was encouraging because sometimes you've just got to change the narrative, change the headline, and getting a result. I mean, Jack Clark's goal, Ross Stewart. Our talisman getting two more goals to his account. It just, it was just perfect against a side who got promoted ahead of us as well. Um, who are the, the classic yo-yo team between the Championship and League One? So we're there showing them that we don't want to be that yo-yo side. So and getting that home win as well was really, really important. Um, so that well, that was really pleasing, and it was, it was, um, I wouldn't say it was a surprise result, but it, it did it, to win by three clear goals was 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 a real real benefit to to the whole club really and obviously attendances are really strong at the time as well there's still that that hype um which hasn't really dropped off really um but yeah and then you're starting to think and then everyone's on Alex Neil watch seeing how many games Stoke lose because all of a sudden now it's Mowbray versus Neil which is um I suppose it's a classic fan thing to do isn't it but yeah I mean it, it was just a response we needed and once again Jack Clark showing what what a good good signing he's been, uh, even though we probably didn't feel like a new signing because obviously we had a try before you buy almost in January, like we did with um, with Patrick Roberts. But no, a great result. Um, and then you then you get into Middlesbrough, aren't you? Hoping to kick that on, and then we yeah. know what happens after that. Well, <laughs> one one of two, I would say, only really pushed. We, we've not been great, and you know, I'm not going to make a leg of being great all season, but Borough and uh, Cardiff at home, the two that stand out to me, where I just felt like we just we just weren't in the game at all. Um, we we were reflecting on those new signings I just mentioned at the time, and we were saying then could have done with bringing a centre forward in. Um, we're playing two up front at the moment. It's not a disaster if one of them goes, because you can always just switch back to one up front. But it's a lot of pressure on that person to go. Ross Stewart in that Borough game gets injured in the warm-up, doesn't make the start in 11. Um, we don't turn up that game, really. Not much to say on it. But it's the next game, isn't it? When we are um, live on Sky, I believe, weren't we? Um, away at Redden, who were flying at the time. 
and Ella Sims has to come off injured. So two games since the window shuts and our worst fears are realised because our two centre-forwards have gone off and what we're thinking at that point. Yeah, again, a bit like the Alex Nail thing, you kind of waiting for the sky to fall in almost because you just think to yourself, like, how are you going to sustain? Because this is it now, we even bring in a free agent who is going to take ages to get up to speed or we don't have any centre-forwards, arguably really until the World Cup and... As you say, you think to yourself, oh, well, so you can probably kiss goodbye to three points against Redden and then you think you're getting stuck into the cycle. And I felt really sorry for Mowbray because I'm like, he's just come into a club which had fairly solid foundations, but now he's having to manage with one arm tied behind his back and he's having to be really creative in how he gets around the North Strike the problem. And to be fair to him, on that night against Redden, he found an absolutely brilliant solution by not just shoving um, the Yaku or Ahmad off the bench to play as like an auxiliary striker, completely played with the uh, false nine and Elliot Embleton, and um, using Patrick Roberts coming in off the wing, scored two great goals, which have almost been forgotten about because of how good our third goal was that night, which will win goal of the season, quite rightly so. I mean, it's one of them goals, you even watch it back now and you just can't help but marvel at the quality of it. And to be fair, under Mowbray, we've scored quite a few goals like that. So that kind of did set a bit of a, a general trend. And what I will say... Um, when we appointed Mowbray, like I, I wasn't obviously like over the moon with it, but at the same time, I was nowhere near as kind of negative about it as um, some people were, because I think some people just see the fact he's a little bit dour and he's not had he's not had a career that's been lit with promotions or anything. But what I had to kind of remind myself was that at the start of the season, a lot of us said if we finish above kind of like 18th, 17th in the league, we'd be happy with it. And I thought, like looking at Mowbray's career as a manager, he's always kind of achieved higher than that and he always seems to improve clubs gradually and stabilise them and he's got a good record with young players so that was always heartening and I think actually since Mowbray's come in bar the absolute aberration of that Cardiff game I've actually been quite impressed with him of how he adapts to problems and the way that he overcomes them and actually I think he has like rid of this kind of perception I think which was quite wrong in the first place that he is a bit of a dinosaur because he's, he's proven that he can be quite creative tactically and be quite switched on so as I say, now hopefully we'll get the two strikers back after this um, World Cup break and we can hit the ground running and we can have a true, more fair reflection of Mowbray's managerial capabilities going forward. Yeah, and that Cardiff game was a disaster, which we'll get on to. Um, but Mix mentioned Jack Clark's goal there, you know, gets played over and over again. One of a couple we've had this season, John, which was great. The commentator for one of those goals, Carmen Witch, said, oh, no striker, no problem for Sunderland. And that was just, of course, you know, just a reflection because Sims had gone off. We didn't have any strikers on the pitch. But a lot of the people at the time were saying it wouldn't be a problem. We go to Watford, who's one of the teams fancied for promotion, get a, a really late equaliser there. That's the first game, really, we see the young subs come off the bench and make an impact. Um, I think Bennett was, wasn't it? Scored, a, scored, the, scored the equaliser, but um, there were good performances by, by the subs that come on as well. And people at that time were saying... Oh, you know, we, we, we can deal without the striker thing. Although, let's not forget, Christian Speakman had claimed Xhaka was a striker, although team selections where sometimes he wasn't even in the squad uh, suggest not. Um, but it was the two games after that, wasn't it? Preston at home, Blackpool at home, where, I mean, my God, two nil-nil draws. But in my opinion, had we had Danny Graham playing up front in those two games, we'd have took at least four points. Oh, 100%. I mean... The, the Watford result was heartening in that um, we, we actually fought back into the game and showed a bit of spirit. And actually, although Jefferson Bennett gets gets the plaudits for his equaliser, and rightly so, Abdullah Bar came on and really showed uh, what he could do then, which was yeah. um, was really encouraging to see against a pretty physical and expensive Watford team as well. Um, and of course, yeah, there's all like the commentator says. There's always that you know, no striker, no problem. Um, and yes, Spain dominated world football for a period of time with Fabregas as a false nine. But they had, they had players who could hold the ball and you wouldn't get it off them for 80, 90 minutes. Is what pretty much what they're trying to do at the moment in this World Cup. Um, but eventually, you do get found out. It becomes a little bit predictable. Um, and that, that's, always going to, that's always going to be the case in football, especially when you're on Sky all the time, which is what some of them were. And it was a real headline. They have no strikers. And not just missing one striker, you're missing two, two six foot four strikers who were both in the goals at the time as well. 
Um, and the match previews that I write, I research the opposition to some extent, and nearly every team has a minimum of four strikers that are championship level, and then maybe a couple of youngsters that are unproven, but they've pretty much got between four to six strikers on their books um, at any one time. Um, and the Norwich game is a classic example of that, is that they had a bench and Dean Smith was quite, you know, smart in it, in that he said, you know, I, I had the quality on the bench to bring it on and win the game, and that he did. Um, and that's where our kind of luck started to run out. And then we don't often, draw, particularly since we've, our four years in League One, and particularly in the Championship, we don't get many goalless draws. We certainly um, re- rarely fail to score. So to get back-to-back nil-nils, I mean, I was at the Blackpool game and it was really hard to watch, particularly the amount of corners and set pieces we give away. We are just like, they're twice the size of us here. We haven't even got Stuart to head, a- head away the first ball from a corner or anything like that. So it was more than just miss the, the absence of goals. It was that physical presence uh, in the areas that matter. And obviously, as we move on through the autumn now, it becomes a kind of running problem. And we've had moments of quality from certain individuals, the Clarks, the Pritchards, the um, Roberts of this world, and Ahmad of late, who've probably papered over those cracks to an extent. And we're probably... A little bit grateful now we've got Ellis Sims back because um, he is that that focal point that kind of overused phrase now but it is that's what it is isn't it we we just missed a focal point for so long and anyone that thinks you can get by without strikers in a division like the championship where we're in a compressed fixture schedule because of the World Cup uh, they're, they're deluding themselves it's it's been a real kind of what if part of the season. And it, that's, it's been massively frustrating given the positive start that we had, even yeah. after losing our manager. Yeah, exactly. Because that's that's where the slump happens. So we lose three and four after that. And that's when people start to worry. We do beat Wigan at home, which is always which was always nice because we come from behind. And of course, we're going to have so many ex-Sunderland um, players. Uh, we lose at, uh, at Swansea. Um, uh, Jack Clark's kind of almost dragging us through this on, on his own, I feel, at the time. Um, we've got a Blackburn play all right actually we were both down there John and met up and, and we played all right and we've lost to a bit of a wonder goal from um, from Diaz uh, in the first half but we just we had toothless again we played home to Burnley who were fancy we go off to a 2-0 we race into a 2-0 lead and then we gas out which we hadn't seen in a while but again while you don't have a centre forward just to come on and hold it and relieve that pressure as soon as Burnley pulled one back we, we, we all um, knew we were in trouble um, the rot stopped then a little bit because we get a 1-1 draw at Luton. What happens? Ellis Sims come on, comes on off the bench and the dynamics of the team change and suddenly there's light at the end of the tunnel there, Mick, isn't there, from that moment? Yeah, 100%. I mean, from them four games before the World Cup break, we took seven points, which I think would be a return that we all would have been happy with going into them games. Um, obviously, I don't want to keep on hopping on about the Cardiff game, but if we just like, put anywhere near what we're capable of, you're talking about probably 10 points from the possible 12. But um, we didn't play very well that day. I think to kind of develop a bit what um, John said before, I think this season has been a little bit kind of bipolar in the way that we've looked at things, and myself included, because we, we as we currently stand, we're four points from the playoffs, but we're four points from the relegation zone. So what that means is when every time you lose a game, you're looking over your shoulder thinking, oh, crap, actually, we might not be doing that bad, but we're only three points off um, being the bottom three now. And if we lose another couple of games, we're really in a relegation battle. But equally, because things are that tight, if you win a game, you suddenly think to yourself, oh, actually, the playoffs are in are, are within touching distance. And I think the striker situation's kind of exacerbated that because I think what we've done, we've looked at the situation and thought, Actually, the fact that we've got some of these results with not having any strikers on the pitch and scoring the quality goals we have, that speaks a lot to how good this team is. But when you lose, you think, oh, well, if only we had a striker, this wouldn't be happening. So it's been a little bit of a tough season to judge, really, because there's been a lot of highs and lows. I think we will kind of finish mid-table kind of around where we are at the minute, and that's absolutely fine. But I think there will be quite a lot of this as the season goes on because the legs are compact you win a game and you feel as though anything's possible and you lose a game and you're looking over your shoulder, I think it will take 
until the league table settles down for us to have a bit more of a measured approach to either winning or losing the game, if that makes any sense. Sorry, I couldn't find my unmute button. Yes, it does, it does make sense. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the Cardiff game, we've, 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 we've referenced a few times, John. I, I, I'm prepared just to write that off. That's the only game I feel like the manager got things entirely wrong, wrong team selection, slow to react um, to at least just moving people around on the pitch when Cardiff started to bust the game. Didn't change things quickly enough. Uh, in the second half, Ellis Sims also got a uh, Ellis Sims also got a bit stick because it was his first start. He just wasn't much fit, couldn't really get into the game. Um, so these things happen in the championship. It was important we follow that up with a good win, um, and we go to Huddersfield, don't we, and um, and put on another display similar to the one at Redden earlier in the season. But of course, again, Sims makes the difference in that game. Are you on about Huddersfield or Birmingham here? Yeah? Uh, Huddersfield. Because Huddersfield, oh, Huddersfield came before Cardiff. Yeah, sorry, sorry, I've sorry, just yeah, yeah. myself. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, Let's yeah. go Huddersfield. That's right. So he comes on at Huddersfield, makes a difference. We win the game. So then he starts at Cardiff and wasn't quite ready. Yes, yes that's right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Huddersfield was a good game. I, I was there and it was pissing down with rain. And the game was massively poor quality. In fact, Huddersfield was arguably the better team the first 20 minutes. Um, but yeah, we eventually break the deadlock and again a really good team goal from from back to front but just having just having Sims introduced just seemed to lift everybody he was that kind of pivot that people could use to bounce off and um, you know far more effective off the bench when you're not 100% fit Um, and you know you probably you could argue he's He's probably not. I mean, Mowbray did say before the um, when he was back on grass and building up to his fitness that he won't play 90 minutes before the World Cup, um, which made it a massive surprise when he did start against Cardiff. It didn't kind of didn't quite make sense. And I think Gareth made. You can understand really the good... tie. You can understand the temptation, can't you? Well, yeah, because he's, cha- he's made... changed things so much. Gareth made a really good point on the pod afterwards. I think he said he's yeah. trying to stretch stretch 60 minutes into 90 minutes and I thought it was a really good way of putting it and uh, Gareth's defended him really well because I think you know a lot of fans got on his back you know you know considering him lazy but I look at I mean I remember him at Borough when he he got 10 minutes notice that you're playing up top on your own and he did as much as he could but no one covers the ground that Ross Stewart does that's that you just don't in that division and he got a lot of stick that night for being lazy and uninterested or whatever. He's not. Um, and like I say, if he can give you half an hour, he's going to give you a really good half an hour. You try and stick him in for 90 minutes when he's not 100%. Let's try and do that with any player. It's hard. It's hard. And he, he's trying to manage himself through a game. But yeah, it was great. It was great to go to Huddersfield and win a game that we should be winning. They were rock bottom at the time. They were playing terribly. And um, it was just nice to go away and in the end do quite a professional job in what was tricky conditions right before the World Cup break. And it was just what we kind of needed at the time. And in what Mickey says is a real bipolar period of time, really, because it is, we've yet to win, I think, back-to-back games, have we? Um, and I don't think that's necessarily a reflection on how we're playing. It's just how the cards have fallen for us, whether it be injuries, red cards, uh just the fixture schedule itself, um, but yeah, that was a that was a really good result. Um, just such a shame it wasn't followed up with the home game against Cardiff, which ev- most Cardiff commentators were saying that they didn't expect to get anything more than point at best from that because their their away form was horrendous. It was a really first. It was the first time this season we saw the the fans sort of not turn. You know, they didn't turn at all, and anyone saying they did. Are massively exaggerating. There was a bit of a weird atmosphere that game, though, generally. But it was it was the first time the fans was you know not almost you know there wasn't the unconditional support that had been for the rest of the season. I think it was just born out of frustration because we'd seen Sims play so well and make such a difference when he was coming on and making these cameo substitute appearances, and you were thinking, yes, we're going to get back to what we were, and we were just so crap that game. Um, and a lot of it was down to the manager again, Mick. If ever we needed a win like we did for the Rotherham game going into a break 
because had we gone to Birmingham and had our asses handed to us, the mood would be very different. But we didn't. Sim scores again. Everything looks great again. It was a, it was a terrific performance, wasn't it? Yeah, 100%. And I think it speaks to, the, we talked before about the 17-18 season. The biggest difference for me is the contrast in them, the attitude and how they react to setbacks. Because I think this season, we might have them young players who will be inconsistent. But I tell you what, every single time I've thought to myself, oh, we could be in a bit of trouble here with responders, like you said there. It's mental. And I think it goes before about how bipolar the season's felt. If we'd lost that game to Birmingham or even got a draw, I think it would be quite negative heading into the break. But heading into the break, because we got that result, there's so much positivity about the place and quite rightly so. And I'm just pleased for the players, really, because I think the... They deserve it for the performances and the, the commitment that they've shown, really, because there's been some really testing circumstances this season with them um, lost the manager early doors. And then, as I say, having to play without a striker for such a long period of time. And I really do hope that in January that we're not tempted to try and just roll with them um, two strikers again, because even if, let's say, that Sims and Stewart are fit and available to play every game between now and the end of the season, it's still an enormous amount of pressure to put on two individuals to play excellently, consistently. There's going to be times where people have slight dips in form. We've not seen it from Stuart yet, but he's not superhuman. He will have a little bit of a dip at some point. So consequently, you need people to come in and take the pressure off it. So it's like you said before, John, Ellis Sims, he was our only focal point. He has a poor hour against Cardiff and people straight away are on his back because the pressure is on him to provide all of the answers. So it's it's quite a tough situation. So I just really hope that um, in January we've had um, time to reassess and hopefully we've learned from some of the deficiencies from this window and we aren't like too stubborn to say, well, we got this slightly wrong and we can hopefully add some quality in up front because I don't buy this nobody wants to be third choice argument because as I say you get suspensions, you get dips in form, but you will get plenty of game time if you come in as a quote-unquote third striker. And as I say... Every, nonsensical every, statement that was. It, it is, mate, I. Yeah, right, I good will. I don't know if they're fans, we've become quite short-termist though, haven't we? I mean, now that we have all this information and the fixtures are so thick and fast and everything's televised, I mean, we're football fans that weren't probably... Young, old enough to be around and see it in the seventies and eighties, where you just got the results in the papers as one live match, and you just accepted bad results, didn't you? Whereas these days, it's everything's a reaction, and we've got a game every, on average, three and a half days, and I think that's where that kind of these peaks and troughs come from emotionally, and I think hopefully, um, after the World Cup the season starts to take a more settled, settled kind of schedule, and. Um, with another window, we'll get some truer results and we'll know where we are. Hopefully. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll have a quick discussion about what we want to happen uh, in the window. We'll take a little break there. We'll come back and we'll just summarise Sunderland's start of the season, look at some stats and um, and then mourn about uh, the fact we don't think any more centre-folds are going to come in. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Wise Men Say It podcast. I'll just start by saying, if you haven't already, can you um, head across to the Fight for Fair page, please, and uh, donate some money to Fair Fan Tarot who is a singer-songwriter from Sunderland. Uh, Matt did a, a little interview with her, and we put that out as a podcast so she could tell her story. But the you know the short of it is, can't get treatment on the NHS. Very expensive for treatment for a tumour is required 
in America. I'm rushing through this, but at the end of the day, you just need to please go and donate some money. Uh, if you Google um, Fight for Fear UK, the Just Government page will come up, or there's a Twitter um, page, Fight for Fear, as well. Um, and she needs our support. And if all of our listeners donate, look, a couple of quid each, there's a good few grand gone into the into the kitty, so it all makes a difference. So if you uh, go and check that out and do that if you can, please. Okay, I was just about to say a timestamp for everybody. Brazil's just went one 0 up against Switzerland in the group in the second group stage of the World Cup, but it looks like it's been disallowed. VAR has uh, had something to say on the matter, and it's been ruled out. So it's nil nil. There you go. Timestamp for people. Right, Nick, you really impressed me with your research, what you did. So I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna hand over to you, and you're just gonna give us a little bit of a a summary. Um, about Sunderland's return to League One in comparison to other sides, uh, yeah. to, from League One, sorry. Yeah, I just thought I'd um, try and put our start of the season in context, really, because I found it personally as a fan quite difficult to gauge the expectation level and compare that to how things are going so far. So what I've done is I've taken them like the last five seasons of teams who have got the more, promote sorry via the playoffs, and it makes for a pretty decent reading. So I'll just quickly go through. I'll start with um, the most recent. So Black. Blackpool, in terms of points, they got promoted from the League One playoff final, um, obviously the season before last. And after 20 games, they were sat on exactly the same points as us, but they were on 27, but they were actually in 11th place. So that was that's quite encouraging because Blackpool, I think, looking from the far last season, we were quite pleased with how they adapted to the championship. They ultimately finished 16th on 60 points. Um, the season before that, Wigan Wanderers, after 20 games, they were bottom of the league on 12 points. So obviously we're far and away better than that. The season before that, um, Charlton, who obviously beat us in the playoff final the season before, after 20 games, they were 17th in the league on 23 points and they ended up being relegated on 48. So again, we're doing quite a bit better than that. Rotherham United, the previous season, after 20 games, they were 20th on 20 points. And again, they were ultimately relegated on 40 points at the end of the season. The season before that, Millwall, they ultimately finished the season eighth in the league. But actually, after 20 games, they were 17th on 22 points. So they had a very impressive second half of the season. But in terms of comparing after 20 games, we're actually ahead of them, which is really encouraging. And Barnsley are the only team in this list, and this is back in 2016, 2017, after tw- who have more points than us after 20 games, and they only have a point more. So after 20 games, they're 11th on 28 points, and they ultimately finish 14th on 58 points. So I just think that gives you quite a good flavour of how well we are doing. So there's three teams out of the last five we're doing better than. One of them were exactly equal, and Barnsley have one more point from us, and that's the stage of the season. So I think all in all, we can be really proud and pleased with how we started the season, particularly given some of the limitations and the managerial changes and the striker issue, I think we've done quite well. 15th, we feel like we're better than that, don't we? Yeah. Like I say, you know what I mean, John? It feels like we've done all right and we're playing some nice attacking football. And I think, I know we'd said when we were promoted, right? Oh, you know, let's settle for just consolidation. Let's, you know, no relegation drama. 15th would do nicely and people say now saying I don't know I'm not sure you know like because when you when you you know if somebody tells you a team finishes 15th you don't associate that with anything fun you just think well they're just a bit rubbish that team but it feels like we are better than that and it has been good to watch yeah and there's, there's there has been a lot of what ifs a lot of asterisks next to results I mean you look at QPR I mean the free kick of Alice chair scores as a headbutt on Gooch before it that you could argue would turn that over. Um, the Norwich game was a bizarre result. Um, the Stewart injury, the Sims injury, the Dan Neal red card at Sheffield United when we were playing well. There's uh, the Blackburn penalty that never was, the offside goal for the second. There's multiple times where you think, if the chips had just gone our way, we'd probably be 12 points better off. And all of a sudden, you're talking probably fourth or fifth on the table. Um, but yeah, I think, I mean, if you ask me at the start of the season, would I be happy with where we are? In terms of league position, yes, I wouldn't like the volume of defeats because it's never nice knowing you've lost games. But I think we're okay. And as mixed stats suggest there, if you don't, if, if you don't, 
lull in the bottom three or four at the start of the season, that, that, that there's a platform there for you to move on and really set yourself up. You know, get that get that window uh, in January, um, learn the league and understand what you need, uh, which is a lot of strikers in our case. And um, you know, you've got a chance then because you've had a good. We've had a good look at that the opposition so far and there's not really been any team that I think Christ you're miles better than us even Burnley who scored four and one half against us we we let them back into that game hugely um, and again you know, Dan Neal's red card at Sheffield United probably let them off to an extent as well so it's it's, it's one of that it's one of them really where I think we are where we are uh, like Mick says you, you know you're four points from relegation you're four points from the playoffs, you know, we are just just in that middle ground. So the, the you know the next move is big for us, really, and it will be an int- it'll be interesting to see how ambitious the club are. Um, whether we get the same narrative of you know Jacku and Amada strikers and all that yeah, he pony. Did, he's really. doubled, he's doubled yeah. down on it once already when he had the chance he's, to just. Uh... <laughs> I think he's quadrupled down on it now. Um, but the reality is that most of the time he doesn't make a squad in a team that doesn't have strikers. So I think that answers anybody's question about whether he is a striker or not. And he, he's yeah. probably not. And, he, and if, he, if you asked him, he'd probably say he isn't either. You know, he's had a couple of guilt edge chances this season that she's kind of shanked wide or whatever. And, you know, he, he is, he's, he's an all right footballer. But he, he seems to me a bit, not he's not the same as George Honeyman, but he reminds me of George Honeyman in that, you never quite knew what his best position was. Um, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't physical enough necessarily or big enough to be in the position he wanted to play. And I, I just don't know if he's the right fit for us, but apparently we're spending a lot of money on him, wages-wise, which is frustrating since we had to buy him due to the wonderful contract that he was drafted by Christian Speakman. Um, so, yeah. It's it's one of them. It's it's one of them. I think we are where we are. I think honestly, every Sunday fan would be satisfied with where we are considering, and with a wealth of players coming back after the World Cup. Well, at least until they get sold in January, we have got a chance. Yeah. Um, if I was to ask you to give me a guess of last time, and you, if you know this, don't shout out, Mick, because I don't know what you've looked at. Um, what? How many points do you think Sunderland were on in, in 2017 after 20 games? If you just guess, just plug a figure out of the air. I don't... I'm going to say 45. No, no, no sorry. 45? No, 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 but I'm thinking about the end of the season on... Uh, I'm no, talking after, sorry, after 20 games, yeah. Oh, God. It'll have to be less than a point a game, won't it? Um, I'm going to say 15, just for round figures. John? I had 14, 15 in my mind. It'd be somewhere around there, similar to Nick, I think. Yeah, but we 14. did get some early wins, didn't we? So, 14, you're right. You're, you're, yeah. you're, both, you're both right. 14 points, which, um, I mean, it's 13 points behind where we are now. And it would have us five points adrift at the bottom of the championship at the minute. So yeah, I mean, just... the season was just beyond grim, wasn't it? Like, <laughs> Mm. It was only we were on the only reason we weren't adrift at that time was because Burton were just as just as crap as us. So yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Right. What do we think then? Um, I, I, it goes without saying we want to bring centre forwards in. Are people confident Ross Stewart will stay this transfer window? It's um, ironic, really, because I've just been um, sent a message to say we've been linked with Cameron Archer, the Villa, the Villa striker, who's not got the greatest record bear in mind he's a poor record on loan at Preston and I think he was at Solihull Motors before that which is no platform for for playing for us Um, but the immediate response from another one of my mates on the group chat was well that means Stuart's going then doesn't it there's just that constant cynical feeling that we're going to lose our best our best player and we're already seeing that good players in this division. If you look at Britain Diaz, who he's probably been a standout striker this year, he's already being valued at you know, upwards of 18 million and he's probably going to get bought by a bottom half Premier League club. Is that where's that money coming from for a player of that level who was the player that sort of player we should be targeting if we're serious on competing in this division? 
even if the owners probably don't want us to get promoted this year. What do you think, Nick? Uh, it seems inevitable, doesn't it, that the first good offer that comes in from... Because it, it, in their eyes, it justifies this model, doesn't it? The buy young for cheap, sell on, make ourselves self-sustainable. And as we've said over and over, there's nothing wrong with that as a template. We aren't asking them just to burn money and throw money away and not make money. But it's it's this needs to be a big give and take, doesn't it? When when you you know how are you going to go and replace somebody like Ross Stewart for the money you bring? You you're not going to be able to sell him for say ten million quid and go and find his replacement for one million quid. And I think Speakman thinks he can do that. Yeah, I think that's that's a big issue, isn't it? I mean, I quite like that sustainable way of doing things because that's how it should be. One of the days, totally agree. Yeah, clubs have been really successful in Europe doing this. Yeah, and to, be, and to be quite frank, we should have been doing this for years because it shouldn't be an absolute disaster if you lose one player. It shouldn't be a disaster if your manager leaves unexpectedly. You should always have contingency planning. But the, the issue being, like you said, Stephen, um, Stuart, in, is, uh, this is a problem with so much kind of with his contract. Have we already exercised the option of the additional year? It just hasn't been announced yet because we're hoping to announce like, a big long-term extension. Um, because otherwise his contract's up in the summer, isn't it? And then you're thinking, well, to avoid him leaving on a free, you have to probably take a hit and sell him for four or five billion quid in January. And it's all very well saying, like, buy for cheap and sell high. And it might be a good profit in terms of, like, pure like pure maths. However, there's no way you're telling me you can get a player of Stuart's quality of what he's got on the bay for four or five million pound. So it's like you say, it's all about who we bring in. So do we go for another option from like kind of the Scottish leagues who we probably haven't heard of? Do we go from someone lower down the chain? Do we go up with an academy, even a league club? You just don't know. And it is all about the replacements. Um, I guess we kind of, and I don't want to sound like some kind of like show for the club or anything, but we do have to kind of trust them to get it right and kind of condemning them before they've got it wrong seems a little bit unfair in my opinion. So I think we've got to wait and basically see what happens on the Stuart thing and we've got to back them to make the right decision and bring in um, a good quality replacement no matter who goes because we've not just got this with Ross Stewart. How long is it before Anthony Patterson starts getting interest from a higher level? Because for me, I don't think there's many goalkeepers of his age and kind of relative lack of experience who's progressed as much as he has and shows as much ability as he does at such a a good level um, and I think you look throughout the squad you've got examples of players who will attract attention from bigger clubs if it goes if everything goes well so as I say the big test of this um, and again I don't like using the word the model but the big test of it is how we do bring in them players and I think it will take us to get this right figure four times before we actually build the trust between the fans and this system and we're doing things It'd be interesting to see what, if he goes for young players again and and, and that's fair enough if and they become options. I think that's fine. And some of them have been really good. One thing you can't criticise a club is for they are scouting these young players well. They, 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 they just are. Like we, we can't accuse, you know, just because we might criticise Speakman on other things doesn't mean we can't acknowledge that. Can't just be that. My concern is I think we need a a like-for-like replacement in terms of um, experience and position as Corey Evans in the window. And I don't think we'll see one. That would be my priority. That would be centre-forward aside because we know that. My priority, John, would be somebody who can come and do exactly the same job as Corey Evans. And that's not just a positional thing. It's somebody with experience who talks them through the game. Like the game at games, you know, we mentioned the home game and it's Cardiff, you put Evans on the bench. I've got no doubt that was one of the reasons we just didn't turn up that game. You need the, it's not just about where you stand on the pitch, it's about what you bring to the team, what you're saying to your teammates, how you get people through the games. Yeah, Tom Walsh is famous midfield bastard, isn't it? You need, um, we, you know, you, you can go back to the Via days where we missed an opportunity to properly sign him and you look at, you know, and, you know, those centre mids that we've had over the years, so you, your Catamols and um, Lorik Sarnas and those proper enforcers in that midfield. And I do, I do feel that at times, as good as Corey Evans is, he is your 60, 70 minute man. And, you know, Matete has come on, to be fair, quite well in 
20, 30 minute spells that he's asked to. But I mean, he's just a massive loan candidate in January because it's pointless keeping someone like him on the payroll who not always makes the match day squad. Um, so yeah, I mean, the strikers, as you as you say, Stephen, are the, the obvious ones that we need. You know, whatever happens with Stuart in January. But yeah, that, that centre mid, because we've got some talented ball players there, the Bars, the Neils, the Mishus in there that are just crying out for a father figure alongside them. Um, I'm kind of hoping Liverpool get fed up with Jordan Henderson soon and he keeps his promise and he, he comes back and just does his little Busquets job for us in the Championship. That would be just that would be just perfect. I don't think um, we could quite cope with his wage demands at the moment unless he's feeling very charitable. And Rochelle was yeah, quite, that, quite uh, ready to drop that level either considering the way when England were playing so crap against USA, he was the go-to guy from the bench as well. So yeah, maybe still, and the surprising one as well. It was when mm. it was a right call because we got we took control of the game back once he went on. It was so. totally overran, and he came on and shored it up. But that was that. again. Don't want to drift from topic there, but again, it just does, does identify that there is kind of life in the old dog yet with him. Um, Maybe Jill against... Scott can come in and, and dust a boots off, do yeah. a job <laughs> in the middle of the park for us. Uh, Mick, what do you think? Um, what do you want? Just to finish up, what do you want? Give us a quick sort of. Set of demands, if you like, and what and, and whether you think that will happen or not. Um, this probably won't be a, an enormously popular shout, but I'd still want a strengthen at right back um, because I still think that um, across the course of a season, I think Gooch might get fa- like found out. And I'm not saying that he's necessarily a bad player, but he'll admit himself he's not like a right back, right wing back. I think he's okay, but if we're going to be playing four at the back, I think he's coped okay so far. But I think people tend to just because he's had a good run of form, being like, oh, well, good, he's fine, but just don't forget this time last year, he was basically a boo boy for when every, everything went wrong. Um, and I just wouldn't want to see him exposed. And then the direct replacement for him is Trey Hume, who, again, I don't think he's done a great deal wrong, but I think it's been telling that we're not really ready to play him regularly. And this time last year, he's playing in the Northern Irish Premier League. Um, so for me, I would just like a little bit more assurance in the right-back area because I do think, um, obviously, I know Huggins is going to come back to the team and hopefully he can continue to grow. But I would just maybe say like a little bit better cover in that position. I know people will probably disagree with that, but that's just maybe my take on it. And maybe you could get like try here, like a loan out in like maybe his league one to see if he can solidify himself there. Um, because I think there's a bit too much of an attitude with the squad of, all oh, well, we can make doing mend and muddle on until rather than just getting in a player who can like, competently solve that problem. And that's your top of your list. Do, um, do you, do you think I'll uh, no, of, of the strike it goes without saying, well, that's yeah, why I haven't does, said yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, that, yeah that's yeah. why I've not mentioned <laughs> that. Um, but no, I do agree. I think um, that w- I don't necessarily think it would be top of my priority list. I agree completely with you guys in the, um, the centre of midfield. We need someone who can do an equivalent job to Corby Evans. I think Barr's shown that he's capable of... Um, playing well and he's very composed on the ball. Um, I think he's technically very good, but I, I, I think there's a bit of a, a mistake people make when they watch football, but just because somebody does well coming off the bench and they perform well off the bench, they suddenly say, well, he needs to start now. And sometimes there's a reason that they do well when they're coming off the bench, whether that be kind of tied legs around them, the game is a bit more chaotic and they've got more space to exploit, etc. And I think that's the case with Bar because everyone was demanding his inclusion. He started against Cardiff and he was just off the boil from the start. And Evans had to come on the game and try and rescue a bit of control of the game. So again, I'd be wanting someone in centre midfield who you can hang your hat on like from the start if you had to take Evans out of the team, which we're going to have to do because he just he's someone that's not consistently managed more than 30 starts throughout the season. So I do think we still need a little bit of reinforcement in that area. Yeah, hopefully. And and the end of the day, you know, if the Cardiff result is what has shown the hierarchy that's what is required, then maybe it wasn't such a bad thing after all. Right. Just finally, just just um quickly give me why you why your hopes and will finish and why you think they'll finish. Just be quick. John will go with you first because Mick's just at the mic. Um I'd hope we'd finish top six. I think we'll finish around twelve. Um Obviously, I always want us to do well, but I don't know if promotion is necessarily the right thing for this club because we're so long-termist at the moment. So I think, uh, yeah, I'll take a, a consolidation, two more transfer windows. I don't fancy any more 15-point seasons in the Premier League, Mick. No. 
Yeah, pretty similar. I think um, in an ideal world, I would like a playoff push, but you've got to, you look there, you've got to win a lot of games, haven't you, to get to get to that point. I mean, as I say, Blackpool last season finished on, um, finished in 16th place and they've got 60 points. You know, you've got to accumulate a lot of points. So I would hope for a playoff push. So my hopeful one would be that, but I think the realistic is anywhere between like 10th and 14th, really. Yeah, I think we're on the same page. I, th- I think we, I think there might be a spell in the season where we're, we're in the conversation and we might even break in the top six at some point, but I think we'll probably just fall short at the end and I'm thinking sort of ninth or 10th. And I think we'd all be relatively happy with that. Right, so lads will be back later on to um, preview the Millwall game if you can take your eyes off the World Cup and, and remember that a son and another game of football, a competitive game of football um, to play. So that was a really, really quick uh, look back at the season so far and as always thanks for listening when you make decisions for your company you look for the no-brainers if you have a lot of mailing to do stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89 percent off usps and ups Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.